Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Caro Halloran. I'm a director on the investment research team here. And today I'm really excited to bring you a conversation all about the housing market. I think most people have some sort of vested interest in the housing market, whether you own a home, you want to own a home, or you just find all those stories about the crazy bidding wars extremely entertaining. But now more than ever, the housing market has a huge macroeconomic impact, especially when it comes to the ongoing conversations that we've all been having around inflation and the Fed's hiking cycle. So today we're going to walk through where the housing market stands now, what we see moving forward, and what impact it has on the broader economy. So to walk through all of this, I am joined by Lara Rame, our chief U.S. economist, and Andrew Kors, another director on the team. Thank hey, you. Kara. Thank you both for joining Thanks, me. Thanks, Kara. I'm so excited to do this. I think if listeners heard actually both of the episodes that we recorded for the macro outlook and the commercial real estate outlook, we kind of went down a housing rabbit hole because I think we just all really wanted to talk about it. So I'm excited that we're doing a full episode dedicated to it. So to start out, Lara... Give us the 10,000 foot view. So even if you like, I just bought a house a year ago, I don't, I'm nowhere near active in the housing market, but why do I care? You know, why do all of us who are not actively trying to buy or sell homes, why do we care about the housing market at this time? Sure. So I want to call out an excellent article that Andrew wrote last July, um, has been sitting really at the center of so many economic trends that we've seen since uh, the pandemic began. And I think right now, the primary policy driver that is impacting the markets and our expectations is the Fed rate hike cycle. So from even 30,000 feet, Kara, the Fed's goal right now is to address inflation by raising interest rates to slow economic growth. How do higher interest rates slow economic growth? Well, they raise the cost of borrowing for companies, tightening financial conditions, and impacting households by raising borrowing costs for cars, for even credit cards, and for housing. Another way to put that is housing is ground zero for where rate hikes meet the economy. And when you think about the ways that Fed rate hikes and Fed policy really puts a damper on growth, it is because housing is at that forefront of being such an interest rate sensitive market The move that we've seen so far in interest rates, higher long-term yields, rising mortgage rates has already had an impact on housing. And I think because the last recession was so focused on housing, it's something that everybody is just hyper aware of. We had an incredible increase in housing prices. And the big question that everybody has is where does it go from here? And what does it mean for my personal home valuation? You know, that wealth increase has been something that a lot of people have been really riding off of in a lot of ways. 100%. There's so many threads that I want to pull on from that answer. So we'll just dive in. Andrew, I want to toss it over to you now. Just really briefly, so Laura, you already mentioned the low mortgage rates that I think we all saw. Um, We know we saw during the pandemic. So Andrew, what other factors went into creating that really red hot market? Remind us just quickly to set the stage. Yeah, I I think that's a great idea to just set the stage on kind of where we are now, and then we can talk about where the market might be going. And I think Laura made the crucial point there of like, housing has been just at the nexus of all of these different pandemic trends. And ultimately from the highest level, it's been a large mismatch between demand and supply. Right. So when you think about the supply side, there's this secular factor of we just did not build enough homes. 
nearly enough homes during the 2010s. Home builders were scarred during the last recession in 07 to 09. They didn't want to take take risk and buy land. And so they didn't build enough homes. We built half the number of homes per person during the 2010s than we did during the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So you have this significant hole in terms of supply. And then you also have this sort of more cyclical factor where we've had people see huge run-ups in their home prices and and they've said, you know what, I'm going to hold on to this a little bit longer and try to get some more appreciation before I, I go to sell my home. Then on the demand side, you also have these sort of secular versus cyclical factors. So on the secular side, millennials are a really big generation, much bigger than the Gen Xers. And they've been a bit delayed in entering the housing market because a lot of them grew up and, and were entering the labor market during the worst time of, of the global financial crisis. They're finally starting to buy homes. So you have this multi-decade decline in interest rates, which has allowed home prices to increase while keeping mortgage payments lower and more affordable. And then you have the cyclical stuff, which we've talked about ad nauseum. In relation to COVID, you have the work from home, you know, you have the stimulus, this really strong job market. I think COVID has, from a more anecdotal standpoint, really made people appreciate their space more. They want an outdoor space. They want more room to possibly have a home office. So I think all these factors have come together to really just create this huge mismatch between supply and demand. And that's the starting point um, of the market coming into this Fed rate hike cycle. So it seems like the easiest solution would just be to increase supply, right? But that's obviously not an actual easy solution. We can't just build millions of more homes at the drop of a hat, and especially with our supply chains right now. So I want to talk now, I guess, more about the demand side. So Laura, you already alluded to the fact that we have seen the 10-year treasury increase and then we've seen the 30-year mortgage rate increase alongside that actually at you know a higher rate than the increase that we've seen in the 10-year. So Mortgage rates are above 5% now. Have we started to see demand destruction? How, you know, how have you seen that impact the housing market so far? Yeah, it, it's so interesting, right? Because the you know, magnitude of the move has been so significant, but the speed has been incredible too. So I, I think we're sort of in uncharted territory here, at least from my experience. And Laura, I'd imagine your experience too, in terms of just the speed of them. So we haven't had that much time to see the pull through of these higher rates into the housing market. We've had a couple months of, of some data. And what we are seeing is, yeah, there's, there is some deterioration in demand, whether you look at weekly mortgage applications, for example, which are down by about a third. Now, some of that is refinancings, which have essentially gone to zero, but certainly uh, mortgage applications for, for purchases of new homes are down. Existing home sales have fallen about 13% from their highs. Again, from a really high level, but they're down. Construction starts. Basically, when a builder starts, breaks around it, that's down roughly 15% from highs. All of these levels are still strong, but they are down from the incredibly high levels um, that we saw during, say, mid to late 2021. What you are seeing also is sort of a leading indicator in terms of sentiment, whether you're talking about buyers or builders have fallen. So builders are stating in these soft data sort of surveys that they are seeing demand from potential buyers start to wane. Will we see that pull through into sort of construction starts and eventually the availability of new homes? We'll see. The consumer surveys for months have been incredibly negative in terms of is now a good time to buy a home. We've, we've been seeing that, I think, since I wrote that that article in last July. But um, it's almost for like a different reason now, right? Because then it was home prices were, or not a different reason, but then it was home prices were so high, but now it's, oh, 
home prices are still high and now my mortgage is going to cost me so much yeah. more. Yeah, no, that's, that's, and it's actually funny you uh, mentioned that because they ask, why do you think now is a bad time to, bu- uh, time to buy a house? And most people said back then that home prices are too high. And now most people say interest rates are too high. So it's obviously the combination of those two things. Affordability, right? I yeah, mean, that's, it, the, that's what yeah. it comes down Exactly. To. And, and it, this is a crazy stat. If you look at the average mortgage payment on the average new home, it's gone from about $1,000 a month in January of 2021 to 1500 today, an increase of 50% in a year and a half. And certainly wages have not gone up by 50%. People's wealth has not gone up by yeah. 50%. So what you have now is you have an affordability problem, right? Now, I, I think we talked about this earlier where it's, you know, homes are much less affordable now than they were during the 2010s, but we're about average compared to the 90s and the 80s. So I guess the well, question- also, the mortgages are actually- at or near long-term averages yeah. right now. It's just this recency bias that is really impacting us. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I totally agree. I, I will say the question is like, how much of this demand is secular? How much of it is cyclical, right? How much of it is, is due to the stimulus and the strong labor market? How much is due to the boom in millennial demand? How much is due to these fundamental changes brought on by COVID? The work home migration. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and, that's the question that we're going to have to to struggle with here because it's going to be incredibly important for the you know next twelve to eighteen months of the U.S. economy. Yeah, well, I think that's a good segue. Um, you know, do you think that the housing market now is going to be less interest rate sensitive? Do some of these demographic trends that we've talked about mean that we could see these elevated home prices, or do you think that they're going to come off a little bit? So I, I would say I'm kind of going to split it down the middle here and uh, <laughs> <laughs> make a call without making a call. I would say the housing market this time for a given rise in interest rates is probably less sensitive than it would have been in your average cycle looking throughout the decades. I think the difference is the increase in rates that we've seen has happened so quickly and the magnitude is so large that if just because the market is less sensitive per per 1% rise in rates, if the Fed hikes to 3% in the next year, it won't matter because they're hiking so quickly and so aggressively. So I think it, it remains to be seen. But again, like we were talking about, I, I do believe that the secular demand is there. I, I do think uh, work from home is going to be permanent for a lot of, of knowledge workers. I do think we just really need to also remember how extraordinary the last housing cycle, the the last recession was so acutely focused on housing because I think we've seen this strong price appreciation and a lot of people are worried that home prices across the country at the most macro level are really going to suffer some significant decline. Normally in a housing cycle, home prices do not fall. They just stop rising and stop rising as fast. So I'm not here to make some big call it's important that everybody remember what a more normal interest rate sensitive against a normal financial market backdrop is. Yeah. It's well, not housing prices plunging. A big reason for that was the fact that back in 06, 07, 08, all of the 20, I have data right here, 21% of the outstanding U.S. agency MBS debt. So basically 21% of outstanding mortgages, let's call it that, were adjustable rate. So the Fed's hiking and that mortgage adjusts up and your mortgage is no longer affordable. And then a lot of people were forced to sell their homes at depressed prices. So now 2% of the mortgage market roughly is adjustable rate. So I think that's a lot less forced selling. The question is ultimately supply. Right now we have 
less than two months uh, worth of sales of supply on, on the market. And to your point, when the Fed started hiking last time, it made a lot of people's mortgages, which were variable rate, a lot less affordable. That's not going to be an issue this time. And now it's actually the opposite, where if you're going to sell your house and you need to get a bigger mortgage, all of a sudden you're going to be paying a higher blended mortgage rate. So it disincentivizes you to right, sell. Right, exactly. Actually. People are essentially locked into their homes. Yeah, um, yeah. at their really low rates. Figuratively. <laughs> Figuratively, not. we have not yet. We're, we're not actually all. <laughs> excellent. Uh, clarification. Yes, thank you. Um, but no, I mean, it's just going to contribute to keeping that supply really low. Yeah, and, and that's the, like w- without a significant increase in supply, it's really hard to see home prices, like you said, Lara, falling materially. And just to make one other clarification between last cycle and now is just the underwriting standards that we've seen. So yeah. we're not in a situation where we're, we have all of these subprime mortgages and that's yeah. also going to lead to those forced yeah. sales and whatnot. Yeah. So hopefully we've clarified that we are not, we are hopefully not facing another 0708 situation. No. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about at the front end about how the housing market ties into the economy and how we care. Andrew, talk a little more nitty gritty because I know you're our data guy. Like, let's talk about kind of actually how housing impacts things like GDP and things like, and then we're going to get into inflation. Yeah. So it's a great question because on its surface, the housing market is not all that big of a contributor. So if if I go sell my house and, and buy another existing house, it actually doesn't show up. In, in GDP I anywhere. always like to say that my excuse for shopping so much is that I'm contributing to the economy. So I'm really devastated. I yeah. was devastated to learn that my home purchase did not contribute to GDP, but now I think I might need to redo a bathroom or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> All the furniture that you bought yeah. and yeah. the I mean, Peloton I can, that you and put I, that's in your true. Character. That's that's true. I can justify anything, <laughs> let me tell Coming you. From all of us, you're doing your part. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> oh no. Okay, so let's bring it back. <laughs> Reel it in. So like I said, the housing market in general, is about 4% of GDP, and that includes new home construction, right? It includes, like you mentioned, home renovation, which is a fairly significant part of that 4%. It includes multifamily construction, which is another kind of sliver. And then it also includes brokerage commissions, which is kind of the only way that existing home sales enter into the GDP calculation. So it's a cyclical market. 4% is not nothing, but the direct impacts from this type of spending are not huge. But there are also some significant indirect um, impacts. The first would be through cash out refinancing, which is very volatile based on prevailing mortgage rates. And right now, I think the mortgage rate you can get in the market right now of roughly 5.5% is almost 2.5% higher than the average mortgage rate on an existing mortgage. So nobody's going out and refining right now, obviously. Um, Last year in 2021, it was the complete opposite. We had almost $300 billion in equity cash out refinancings, which is about one and a half percent of GDP. It's yeah, that, that huge it's, it's addition big. to household it's a huge balance ad, sheets. Exactly. Yeah. Which could impact consumption. It, we'll kind of, we'll kind of see, but that'll probably go to, if not zero, close to it this year. And the second one, which we've talked a lot about is of course the wealth effect, which is nebulous. I'll let Lara kind of opine on how to quantify that, but it's something we have a hard time measuring, but people when they are richer tend to spend more. I think we can say that at the very least. But, well, and I think the third impact, of course, is through the employment side of things. When you have a strong construction cycle, that clearly is just employing a lot of construction workers. And we know that there's a shortage. That demand is also not going to go anywhere. Right. I mean, back to the wealth effect. Remember, this is also coming at a time when equities are down, yeah. as of today, over 15%, You know, if we're looking at intraday. So it's getting hit on that side as well and investors' portfolios. That's the vast majority of of people's wealth right there. Right. Yeah. Right. 
All right. I want to turn the conversation now to inflation. We've been here before. We've obviously been talking about this for well over a year now. When we first started talking about inflation, we saw a lot of supply chain disruptions that were causing it. We've seen the price of cars skyrocketing. That's gotten a lot of attention. We've seen goods prices more broadly. We've seen energy inflation, food inflation. It's really, it has been coming from everywhere. But now we're really also seeing it come from the cost of shelter. So owner's equivalent rent is how we measure that. It makes up a really large part of headline CPI. It's about a third of headline CPI. It's an even larger portion of core CPI. So really the impact of this type of inflation cannot be overstated. The Fed is hiking to try to combat that inflation, right? But a lot of those things that I talked about, the Fed can't necessarily fix with a rate hike. You can't fix a supply chain with an interest rate hike. But housing is the most interest rate sensitive sector of our economy. So I want to get your thoughts on how this Fed hiking cycle could impact the inflation that we're seeing in the housing market and then more broadly how that can feed into just kind of our economic outlook. Sure. Yeah, no, it's it's this is the critical question. Owner's equivalent rent and its cousin, I would say, the measure of renting a property uh, make up at least a third, if not more, I can't, I can't remember the exact number of the headline CPI number. And what started out as more of a goods-driven inflation story has broadened out to include services, the vast majority of which are included here with shelter. We're not going to go into exactly how owner's equivalent rent is calculated, but it's basically meant to measure the cost of your home as purely a shelter good, right? And in recent months- so basically if, I, if someone came to me and they said, Kara, how much would you rent your home out for? Exactly. We're trying to take out the sort of capital appreciation aspect of a home and purely measure the cost of shelter. And it, it tends to track very closely with rent for an apartment, for example. But it's, it, essentially what we've seen in the last couple months is rent and OER together are rising at roughly a 6% annualized rate, which is far too high. And I think the Fed would say that this type of inflation that is clearly driven by really strong demand is both potentially the stickiest type of inflation and it's probably the, as you mentioned, the type that they are most equipped to try to address. So when they see this type of inflation, they say, okay, certainly you could argue that there's some supply chain issues with trying to build new homes. But by and large, this is a demand-driven uh, market right now. And the Fed looks at it and says, okay, this is a big part of CPI. This is something that we can have an impact on. In my view, the cost of shelter is really the primary channel through which the Fed hopes to bring down inflation. Now, that's... is. You know, are these rate hikes going to be enough to do that? We'll see. To me, and I'll, I'll kind of give you my, my quick three scenarios that could sort of happen here. Number one, I think the first scenario that could happen is the housing market sort of plunges and we go into a recession. I think that's highly unlikely. Like, I, I, I think there's too much secular demand. The economy is too strong right now. I don't think it's likely that that's going to happen uh, this time around. The second scenario would be that secular demand and, and low supply remain. Interest rate hikes don't really do much to combat that. And the Fed has to, to hike more and more to try to get this down. And that raises the risk of, as we like to call it, a policy error, or I don't even know if it's an error in this situation. But that certainly raises the risk of a growth slowdown. And then the final scenario would be the, the sort of uh, soft landing that you hear, or softish landing that you hear Jerome Powell talk about, where... The data that we're seeing right now is not housing falling off a cliff, it's housing moderating. And if they can bring down this sort of price of shelter to a more normal range, it could help them in their quest for this sort of soft-ish landing. Laura, I'll let you opine on that. But that's sort of how I see the path here over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, those are three, I think, very clear scenarios. I agree with you. I see very low probability of 
a housing plunge, just to be clear. And I think to me, it's an important touch point. I do love your phrasing of housing being ground zero for the place that Fed rate hikes can impact the economy. The Fed is also watching wage price dynamic. They're watching household sentiment. They're watching broader consumption. They're watching a lot of other data. And I think especially in the fourth quarter and beyond, if we do have a Fed that's more data dependent than the current posture, which is 50 again in June, 50 basis points again in July. So to that extent, I do think that how housing evolves is a really critical piece of that. There's other things to watch. But I think the final thing I would say, and and this is really critical too, is because housing is somewhat of an illiquid good, an illiquid transaction, and because it's near and dear to all of our hearts, what you often see is the volume of housing transactions fall, but people reticent to make any kind of, you know, downward adjustment to their home price. You know, if you saw your neighbor sell their house for $500,000 last year, it's probably going to take your house sitting on the market for quite some time before you're willing to think maybe it's only worth 450. Better than mine. Right. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe I should only be asking for 450. Yeah. So, these are all I think dynamics that are going to play out and I think one of the most important things I've heard Andrew say today is the fact that mortgage rates have gone up 213 basis points since the beginning of the year. That's an extraordinary rate of pace of increase. It's going to take a little bit of time for all of this to feed through. Housing is not an equity not like a stock that reports bad earnings and wham, you see the result that day. It takes time to feed through these statistics. All right. So we've laid out our three scenarios. You know, I think it's very obvious from this conversation that we're all going to be continuing to watch the housing market very closely, partly for entertainment, because it is just like, I love hearing all those crazy stories about people trying to buy houses on sight unseen across the country. But what are you watching when it comes to the data? What are we really closely, because this is now about to impact our economy in a major way or could. So what are we watching very closely when it comes to the data for the next few months? Yeah, I think Laura reiterated that really the, the point we want to drive home here, which is like, these rate hikes could take some time and those investors who know which sort of data tends to lead the cycle, I, I, I think, will have the best information. Some of the things we're looking at, the monthly mortgage application data is really important. And like I said, does show some significant moderation in demand. So one thing we look at from uh, a real estate brokerage, um, Redfin, is the percent of homes on the market that see a price cut. And that's gone up from 1% towards the middle to end of last year to almost 4% today. Homes are still being sold above asking, but these little things you're, you're starting to see creep in, like price cuts, could be sort of harbingers of some moderation in the market. But I think ultimately, like I said before, it really does come down to supply. And I think on the new home side, supply chains remain an issue. China certainly is not helping with what they're doing with their zero COVID policy right now. And on the existing you know, home side, a lot of these homes are owned by boomers in in their, you know, 60s or 70s. They mostly own their homes outright. Are they going to put their homes on the market anytime soon? I, I think this supply question is really critical because like I said, I think there's a baseline of demand until we see the supply increase. It, it might be a while before you see housing really moderate materially. All right. The perfect place to end. Thank you both so much for joining and we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Thanks, Gar.
This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they're available.